Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Karen, would you uh, join me up here? That's, uh, those are my daughters who are... My fan uh, club back That's there. right. <laughs> it is Mother's Day after all. Um, as you've said before at Mercy Commons, we believe that the major diet of teaching comes through elders, and every now and then we have non-elders teach, um, and those are men and women we believe are gifted to teach, and so that's why Karen is here. We're going to take a break out of our resilience series, because um, as Karen and I have been talking, she really feels weighted by God to speak about our hope of heaven, um, and I said, yeah, it's been many years since we've actually spoken on heaven. So I'm going to pray for her and just let her loose. Father, I want to thank you for your gifts of grace. Um, I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for the preparation and the prayer that's gone into this. Uh, but more than that, I want to thank you for the foundational truth of your word. And I want to thank you that your Holy Spirit is a Christ-clarifying spirit. I want to pray that uh, that you would freshly anoint Karen. I pray that you would freshly anoint us as not only hearers, but doers of your word. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much. What a privilege it is to be with you. Um, so this morning, we're talking about the hope of heaven. And my kind of subtitle under that is my hope for my mother and my hope as a mother. Um, so Mother's Day is a tricky day, right? For so many people, is they have the opportunity to celebrate and remember and appreciate. And also at the same time, so many mourn and weep and ache. And that's the complex gift of being in community, right? We get to do all of these things at the same time. So we celebrate with those who are celebrating. We weep with those who are weeping. Maybe this is your first Mother's Day. Enjoy it. We celebrate with you. Maybe you have lost your mom. Maybe you had a difficult or broken relationship with her. Maybe you're longing to be a mother. We stand with you in that too. For many, it's a both and kind of day. And I feel a little bit in that category this morning. Uh, I am so deeply grateful for the gift of motherhood. Those little people at the back there, oh my gosh, they are the best humans on the planet. <coughs> Little humans on the planet. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. <laughs> I love them intensely. I also am so deeply grateful for my own mom. Um, but I do carry some tenderness because, uh, you know, today she won't know who I am when I go to celebrate with her. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I thought I'd maybe make it through the introduction, but that's okay. Here we go. We're in it together, right? Um, so I wanted to take a, the opportunity on a day that is full of such complexity and breadth of emotion to remind us where our hope really lies. Um, we have a living hope, a hope that is steadfast and sure, a hope that will not disappoint, because we have the hope of heaven, and this anchors our soul. So today, whether you celebrate or mourn or do a little bit of both, we can do it with steady souls because of who Jesus is. So this does feel a little bit vulnerable for me. Um, I'm not a natural sharer. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. This may come out like a jumbled 
mess, but I'm, I'm just, this is what I felt prompted by God to do. Um, I also don't in any way, sorry you guys, I don't want to reduce my parents in telling this story to just this portion of their life when they've lived such large kingdom-focused lives. And I also know that I'm in the middle of this. This is not neat and tied up and resolved. Um, I also don't want this to feel like group therapy, guys. <laughs> I don't want you to feel like you have to kind of walk me through this stuff. This is just how it's working out for me. Each of you have your own challenges and your own wounds, and the truth is the truth for all of us. We just apply it into different contexts. So this morning I want to do a couple of things. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. And we are going to respond in worship at the end. That's kind of the big arc of where we're going. I want to remind us briefly why it is important to have a view and a hope of heaven. And then just spend some time, thank you, um, kind of recalling the glories of heaven which is obviously an enormous undertaking, which we can only do in very broad brushstrokes. But I've done a lot of reading on the subject, guys like Edwards and Spurgeon, Alcorn, Ash. I would encourage you to do some more reading on your own. This is the kind of topic that we need to enlarge our understanding of, and we need to increase our anticipation of. But we need to do it biblically, not sentimentally. So be wise in who you um, read. So first of all, why is a view of heaven important? Well, as Nick said, last week we were in Greece at the Advanced Conference, and uh, you know, I spent a good week surrounded by boats and harbor and water, and so I've become somewhat of a maritime expert in my time away. So all my analogies this morning will be naval, and rest assured I know what I'm talking about. Um, but <laughs> we're on a journey and so how does the hope of heaven help us on our journey? Well, first of all, it anchors us. A hope of heaven anchors us. And this gives us hope and resilience. So it's very, very loosely connected to our resilience theory right here. You see how I just kind of tied that in? But um, an anchor is not only used at the dock or destination point. An anchor plays a very, very key role during a storm. So during a storm, you drop the anchor, um, on whichever side of the boat is most appropriate. And then it holds the boat so that it goes head-on into the waves, so that it doesn't get side-swiped and capsized. So the anchor is a really, really important point. And in this journey that we are on, trials and storms will come. We should not be surprised by them. We should also not be in despair because of them. Um, Trials are coming, but we have an anchor that holds us. As Nick said, one of the things we got to do was go from Athens to Corinth, which was so Pauline. I think it's Acts 17 literally starts. Paul went from Athens to Corinth, and I'm like, oh, look at us, from Athens to Corinth. Look, we drove, but whatever, you know. Um, and we got to the ruins where Paul um, was brought before the tribunal and was accused of trying to persuade people to worship God. And on that spot, I think we have a picture of it. There's this inscription that they, that's literally where Paul stood before a tribunal and had to give it a defense for telling people about Jesus. And on that spot is the, this inscription. It wasn't there in Paul's day. It has been placed since, <laughs> it says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. So having this view of heaven and the glory that awaits us helps us to weather the storms of life because we know it's producing something in us. We also know that one day it will be no more. Alcorn says this, anticipating heaven doesn't eliminate pain, but it does lessen it and put it in perspective. Suffering and death are temporary conditions. If we grasp this truth, it will shift our center of gravity and radically change our perspective on life. This is what the Bible calls hope. But the anchor that holds us in the storm is only as effective as what it grabs onto. If your anchor is just dragging along the seabed or just loosely tangled in grass, it's not going to be able to hold you. An anchor has to grab onto something. Hebrews 6 tells us this when talking about the promises of God. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to lie, for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge may have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our hope is anchored to Christ. Christ has already gone in. He's the forerunner. He's gone in as the high priest for us. Jesus acts as the sure and steady anchor for our souls. We are anchored, friends, to the rock of ages. We are anchored to the person and place to whom we are going. As I've said, one of the things that has, has really battered my soul has been watching my parents just kind of ravaged with Alzheimer's. For those of you who don't know, both of my parents are in advanced stages of the disease. And for kind of 12 years, we've watched and walked with them as they've gone through fear and anger and confusion. We watched them slip away and become shells of themselves and watching them suffer for so long has really kind of hurt my heart. But the thing that has held me is this sure knowledge that this is not the end of their story. That one day they will open their eyes and in every conceivable way, on every level, plain and front, they will be well. That holds us in the storms of life. So this hope of heaven anchors us. It also orientates us, which gives us an identity and a clarity. You know, it's so, easily, it's so easy to be confused when you're traveling. Even now with GPS and all the things, you're like, did we come past this place? I don't know where we are. It's so easy to get confused on a journey. And so we need something that helps give us our bearings and from which we can plot our course. We have to know where we're going. That verse in 2 Corinthians that... Um, we mentioned earlier, goes on to say, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And once we know what we should be looking at, 
Once we know where our focus should be, we can orientate ourselves. And C.S. Lewis writes this um, series of, of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. They are just my best. Do yourself a favor. Um, and it's just full of imagery, and each of the stories kind of points to what it's like living the Christian life, and he does it so cleverly. And in one of the stories called The Silver Chair, there's a, a Eustace and Jill, two little children, and they've been sent by Aslan to rescue a prince that's being held captive by the queen of the underland. And they, this, we're going to read a little bit of the story. It picks up where deep in the underworld, one of her strategies is to confuse them and make them doubt that there's any world but the underworld where they are right now. And they're trying to tell her, but we need to go up. We need to go to, to the overland. The, the, we've, if there's a sun. They're trying to remember what lies ahead of them. And she says, you see... When you try to think out clearly what the sun must be, you cannot tell me. You can only tell me that it's like a lamp. Your sun is a dream, and there is nothing in that dream that is not copied from the lamp. The lamp is the real thing. The sun is but a tale and a children's story. Yes, I see now, said Jill in a heavy, hopeless tone. It must be so. And while she said this, it seemed to her to be very good sense. Slowly and gravely, the witch repeated, there is no sun, and they all said nothing. And she repeated in a softer and deeper voice, there is no sun. After a pause and a struggle in their minds, all four of them said together, you're right, there is no sun. And it was such a relief to give in and say it. There never was a sun, said the witch. No, there never was a sun, said the prince the marsh wiggle and the children. And it's just such a brilliant picture of the lies and the deception of the enemy. If he can get us to doubt the existence of heaven, or at very least have it be this obscure, distant, we don't really know what it is kind of a thing, then we will get lost and we'll be looking at the wrong things all the time. So Part of our orientation is that we need to remember that we're citizens of heaven and sojourners on earth. And this really helps us make sense of the things that we long for. We were made, it's who we were created to be in relationship with God and with each other. And we have a deep homesickness inside of us. There's an ache, there's, a, there's this like yearning for something that we can't quite articulate. We want to be loved, we're longing to be wanted, to be family, to belong, to be significant. Those things are right, those are our longings for heaven, our longings to be with God. And we, because we are convinced that this is the only world that is in existence right now, either spend so much of our time not trying to feel those things or filling them in illegitimate and insignificant ways. But when we remember that these longings are right, it makes sense that we long these things and long for these things, and one day these longings will be fulfilled because we are citizens of heaven, because our identity is being children of God. We are on our way home, and because of that, we live differently on this earth. So if it's important, if it, it anchors us and orientates us, how do we enlarge our vision? How do we establish our hope? Well, three things. We need the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. So the Word of God. 
Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. We need to be a people who are filling our hearts and minds with the word of God. We cannot afford to build on sentimentality and fear. Our hearts have to be full of the word of God so that there's no space for the words of the world or the words of the enemy. The word of God helps us to enlarge that, that view. The spirit of God helps us. John 16, 13, Jesus is speaking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit, by God's grace, the Spirit of God indwells us, and he is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth will lead us and guide us on our journey. What a profound traveling companion to have. Somebody who knows the way, somebody who's going to help you find the way, somebody that's going to keep pointing you to the right way. And then we need the people of God. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to encourage and spur and help each other along. You know, being a traveler is a very interesting thing. You feel this kind of camaraderie and connection with people that you don't even <laughs> really know. Um, you're rooting for each other. and So very, very many travel stories from this last week. But on our way back, we were flying from Athens to Heathrow. Heathrow is an enormous airport with a lot of complications. So Heathrow is having a security strike. Yep. So our flight into Heathrow is delayed by an hour and a half. We only had a three-hour window to begin with. Now that's cut in half. And due to complications that we'll tell the story of another day, we did not have a boarding pass to go from Athens. I mean, from... Neither did I, because I was connected to you. <laughs> so, um, so when we land in Heathrow, they say, just go to the, the desk and they'll give you your boarding pass. So we run, we stand in this line. We have to wait for the bus to get from Terminal 5 to Terminal 3. And all you start, like, how are you? Are you okay? What flight are you getting on? You know, and the little, this little Greek granny who's only got 10 words is shuffling along. And she's like, is this 3? Yes, yes. And Nick's reassuring her, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. This is going the right way, you're going to get on this bus, stay with us. These people are trying to get to Boston, this whole thing. This, the first bus pulls up, it is full. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we say to the guy, please, please, can, can it fit two more people? He says, yes, guys, make I mean, we squeezed in there, stuck to people for like 20 minutes while we're jostling to the next gate. And then the, but this, like, com this is the camaraderie that starts. The guys are like, good luck. We hope you make it, and the doors open, and off we ran. There was a fight that broke out, which is again a story for another day. But uh, we, we, I mean, we just we had to be through security at 6:05. The flight is boarding at six o'clock. It's 5:59, and we're still at the back of the security line. We're like, we're not gonna make. 
So the guy comes and he, he puts us through the first checkpoint. We still have to go through security, but at least they know we're coming, right? So we're standing in this line. There's two of the eight open, and the people that are working are doing a go slow. It is, it is chaos, chaos. But there we see the little Greek, yeah, yeah, yes, you made it. Well done, you got to the right spot. And our little Boston friends, we're like, oh, are you guys still here? Are you going to make it? And they're like, well, we've got 15 minutes. You've got 15 minutes? Maybe the people in front of you will let you go. The people in front are like, yeah, 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 we've got, we've got time. Come on, come on, come on. So it's this rooting together. Yeah, guys, go run. We'll put your bins away. Make the flight. You can do it. It's this kind of like we can help each other to get home. And that's how the people of God should operate. You're okay. I'm going to put your bin away. Run, run. You want me to carry your bag? I got your bag. I had to carry my own bag, but that's another point. <laughs> to run to gate 30 out of 31. But we, we made it, guys. <laughs> so we need the people of God. We need each other on this journey. So if we need to have this increased vision, let's just spend a few minutes together looking at what heaven is. Um, we're just going to do that through three points. Um, what is absent? What is present? What is primary? So what is absent? Well, we come to a kingdom of no mores. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We come, friends, to a place and a kingdom of no mores. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more toil, temptation, or torment. There's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness. There's no more night, no more curse, no more evil. That's what we go to. That is what is missing in heaven. But it's not just a place of what's missing. It's also a place that's full of things that are there. So what is present? Well, we come to a city of eternal rest. We come home to the country that we were made for. We come to the presence of all good, fruitfulness, and joy. We come to worship, productivity, and comfort. We come to paradise regained. We come to where God shelters and is with us. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Revelation 7. And it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst. The sun will not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. We come to a place full of the presence 
and shelter and shepherding of God. So what is primary then? If heaven is missing these things and full of these things, what is primary? Well, well, Jesus. Jesus is central, primary, and foremost. Heaven is only heaven because God is there. And you just love it. The throne in the midst, the lamb in the midst of the throne, Jesus is central in heaven. And we we will see God, we will know God, we will dwell with God. We will see God. Right now, we can't see God. We can't see him face to face because we're not holy. But on that day, we will be in perfect holiness and we will see God for all his fullness. Not dimly, not darkly, not with any taint of, um, of our sin. We will see him fully. John Donne says, No man ever saw God and lived and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I have seen him, I shall never die. We will see God. We will know God. Jesus tells us that eternal life is knowing God. We'll know him as he really is, really, fully, truly, without any stain of our brokenness or taint of the deception the enemy sowed into us. Sam Storm says, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with him. Our experience of God will never reach its consummation. It will deepen and develop, intensify and amplify, unfold and increase, broaden and balloon. We will know God and we will keep knowing God. We will know him and keep, because there's no end to him. So for all of eternity, we will be knowing God more and more and more. And then we will dwell with him. That verse says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. We'll be with him forever. I love it. Scripture says he writes his name on us. We belong to him. I always think of that toy story thing, you know, where the toy is like, who are we? And they look to see whose name is on them. You know, God writes his name on us. We're his. We belong to him. And Augustine says, as there is nothing or greater than God himself, God promises us himself. Band, you can come on up. So my hope for this Mother's Day, my hope for my mother is this is not the end of her story. That one day she will open her eyes and she will see the face of Jesus. And as Tolkien says, because of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, one day every sad thing will come untrue. One day for her, the remembering and the forgetting will be the right kind of remembering and forgetting. She'll forget the struggles and trials of this life. She'll only remember Jesus, and Jesus will remember her forever. My hope as a mother is the same thing. Sorry, this is going to be tender. (laughs) It's very hard to watch your children struggle through life. It's very hard. But I know that for my kids, heartache, disappointments, and wounds will one day be healed. One day we'll be healed. Even just in this scenario with my parents, I just want to honor those girls 
So they paid a price. Not only did they mourn the loss of their grandparents, but sometimes they just have to fend for themselves because I'd have to respond to a neighbor's call or go drive the streets to look for my, my parents. And they carry a tenderness, but I know that will not always be there for, him, for them. As Lewis says, that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. So all sad things come untrue. All agonies become glory. And one of the things my dad used to say as the disease progressed for him is he would just say, the best is yet to come. And the kids were like, Mom, that seems like this cruel irony that that is what's stuck in his head when every day from here on outward is going to get darker and scarier and worse and worse for them. But what it got to open up for us were these wonderful conversations about heaven. And yes, for a while now, their bodies are decaying. Their minds are withering away. But because they have put their faith and hope in Jesus, because Jesus is their Savior and their Lord, the best really is yet to come for them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you paid the price for our sin and our redemption. Thank you because you are our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer. You are our forerunner. You are our great high priest. You are the lamb who is the shepherd and our hope is secure. Thank you that we get to live a present life of grace and we look forward to a future life of glory. Let's worship. One of the... Uh... One of the keys of us gathering as a community is the centrality of Jesus in our past, present, and future. Sean reminded us this morning that God is not far from any of us. It doesn't matter how far we feel from Him. And you may have walked in feeling far from God. Maybe you have known Him. You may not know Him at all. We are about to participate in what is a family meal. You know, the most intriguing thing about this meal, we're not going to experience this meal in heaven. We will experience a lot of really cool things in heaven. This meal is a meal that we have until we experience the fullness of what being in God's presence in. This meal reminds us that our longing and our hope is a living hope that Jesus is present as we participate in this meal. And for that reason, it's a meal that we as Christ followers take, not only remembering what He has done, but also longing for His return so that we can see Him face to face. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and He said, this is my blood of a new covenant. I do this in remembrance of me. Just understanding this, that they would have had no idea what that meant at the time. At that moment, the night that Jesus was betrayed. The privilege that we have of actually taking this meal 
knowing not only the symbolic significance, but the reality of somehow that Jesus is present as a body as we take this. So what I'd like us to do is Karen led us through what is absent and what is present, what will be absent and what will be present. And I was just wondering if, if we could gather in groups of three and four and actually just say, when I, when I look at heaven, this is what I am happy that will be absent. This is what I am, as, as Karen boasted of the suffering of that, but boasted in the goodness of Jesus, that I'm looking forward to there being no more pain, no more tear, no more depression, no more poor, no more poverty, whatever. Whatever that is for you, but then this is also the thing that I long for that will be present, and peace, and hope, and the presence of God, and rest, and fruitfulness, and joy, and shelter. And so I'm just gonna give us a minute for the Spirit to work in you, and then in groups of three and four, just share that. Man, this is the thing that I can't wait to be in the presence of God to experience, and this is the thing I'm so happy I will never experience again. Spirit of God, as you continue to minister to your family, to your chosen ones, to your called out ones, I wanna pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to show us in our souls our hope of heaven is not a faint smoky hope our hope of heaven is sure and steadfast it is as real as these elements that we hold in our hands and as we turn to our brothers and sisters I want to pray that you would help us minister to each other as we speak of what we long to be absent and what we hope to be present in the name of Jesus Let's do that right now. If you, uh, if you feel like you've been far from God and this morning there was a sense in which you turned around and something unique happened and you want someone to walk with you or pray with you for that, we would love to do that on my left. If you're still working through some of those things that you want to be absent and present and you need the people of God to just stand with you, uh, we would also love to do that. We're going to have some leaders to my left. For the rest of us, uh, let's go out there. Let's remind people that this is not all there is. As we live as sojourners and pilgrims, exiles, but citizens of heaven, let's go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.